On this morning's show, we are joined by Andrew Ferris, CEO at Ecognosis Advisory. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Good morning. And by Samuel Favre, the Chief Executive Officer of Mandarin Capital. Good morning, Sam. Morning, Nathan. Um, so we ha- let's not talk about China and US to start with for a change, and let's start with Japan. So the Bank of Japan Governor Kazuo Iedo said that Japan was about to exit from decades of ultra-low interest rate policy, a move market commentators have been asking for for a while. We saw the yen and bond yields surge whilst the equity market fell sharply. But what will be the real effects in the shift in policy? I'll start with you, Andrew. Uh, basically, it's going to add additional entertainment uh, for observers, investment advisors such as myself and analysts as to know guessing not only the Fed but also guessing Bank of Japan. In other words, entertainment but uh, of very, very low value added. Japan is not going to exit anytime soon and abruptly of its negative and near zero interest rate policies. And they have been doing this very quietly and very slowly, more or less in the past year. So all that uh, Mr. Ueda effectively reconfirmed was that at some stage they will be looking to increase interest rates. Now, this, of course, immediately led to a strengthening of the yen because it makes some sense. The expected differentials with the U.S. dollar, expected differentials, are likely to rise. When they are going to rise, again, join the party and have an incessant <laughs> sort of session on what exactly is the Bank of Japan going to do, when it's going to do it, and how this is going to affect all of us. Sam? I think... Uh Basically, the Bank of Japan has been very, very slow, and I agree, short-term, that's most likely uh, going to have very, very little uh, impact and changes. However, Japan is famous for its inertia, and I think, uh, in reality, the impact we'll have on Japan will be a lot more in the medium term compared to the U.S. because of the specific situation of Japan. First of all, they've been in this environment for the last 30 years, so I'm not sure they really know how to manage an upcycle, and I think they're already quite late. And secondly, because of the uh, debt situation in Japan, you know, everybody has been saying, well, you can't, be, you can't bet against JGVs, uh, but things change. And I'm not sure people can realize changes until they're really, uh, you know, really at the, at the foot of the hill. And I think when you have 44 or 45% of the debt, which can be potentially monetized, and you have a budget where interest rate servicing of the debt is increasing and will increase potentially quite dramatically, the medium-term impact when there is a change of policy will be quite drastic. And I think that's why they've been managing it very, very slowly, uh, but maybe too slowly, and uh, they may be actually delaying the potential effects. So the general perception this year has been that Japan has been on the skid recovery track. It's been a very positive year for Japan. The equity markets have had a good, strong rally. Is that just perception, or is that actually the case where Japan is actually starting to pick up? Um, I'll start with you, uh, Sam, because I know you've been to Japan quite a few times. Uh, There's been recovery. Uh, I think last year was probably even better than this year. Uh, there is definitely inflation coming up in Japan, which is starting to eat inside the, uh, you know, the domestic consumption, and people in Japan are feeling the pinch of it. So that needs to be addressed. And also there's been the natural sum of rebalancing between China, which has gone to Japan. Now, how far this momentum is going to go? It's a good question. So it has a very, the market had a very, very good run. Um, you know, it might be, might be time for caution now. And Andrew, what about your perception of what's been going on in Japan? Like, like I said, it's been, the perception has been that it's been a really positive year. 
I mean, we've generally uh, well, heard that yes, things... Actually, the, the, Nikkei is in, the Nikkei in US dollar terms is uh, 14.5% up, let's say, compared to the S&P, which is, uh, is about 4.2%. So the Nikkei has done very, very well indeed. Now, uh, Japan, has, sorry, Japan had the interesting contradiction that they had a long-term inflation target of 2%, and uh, for months now, if not for nearly one year, the actual inflation rate has been well in excess of 3%. Uh, the last numbers we have for October was 3.3%. And also the core inflation has been also slightly increasing. Last numbers we have, September to October, was from 2.8 to 2.9%. So the question is, is hang on a minute. Uh, inflation has actually more than hit their target. So what was the point of uh, continuing with an extremely loose monetary policy? And the answer was always was that they wanted to make quite sure that that inflation was there, not because year-on-year effects or because uh, certain subsidies on the electricity were removed or added on, and that was a long term that is going to stay. Hence, the strange contradiction of looking at the Japanese saying targets 2%, actual 3%, we carry on having low interest rates. Okay, so uh, this goes back again to their willingness and capacity to do things very slowly, even if some of the stuff is counterintuitive. But the strengthening yen will then, I mean, a lot of that inflation has been imported inflation, so the strengthening yen will bring that back down, so maybe they do start hitting their 2% target. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's one, that's most definitely one way of looking at it. Um, in a sense, a stronger exchange rate is effectively a higher interest rate. Remember, uh, in 101 economics, and if you're not pegged as you are in Hong Kong, you can only affect either the exchange rate or the interest rates, but not both. So if uh, the yen actually strengthens, the Bank of Japan will tell you, you want higher interest rates, you're getting them. And so Given that fact that the yen has strengthened, if they actually do come out of this negative rate or zero rate policy and start raising rates slightly aggressively, because as you said, I don't think the Bank of Japan does anything aggressively, do you think you can actually start maybe getting into a deflationary cycle next year? I don't think so, because first of all, the yen has just bounced for two days, so that's definitely not setting a trend. And the impact of the drop of the yen is we're looking at multi-years, so there has been some imported inflation, but the problem is now it has, it has started to feed through domestic inflation and the, the cycle has completely changed. And you can see that everywhere from not only um, imported stuff, but domestic, domestic assets, whether it's real estate or other assets, there is a natural inflation picking up domestically. So I don't think it's a question of just managing the interest rate, uh, which obviously will have an impact, but they will have to take some measures uh, domestically to get that into a... Um, into the limits. So the question is exactly what happened with the US. Are they doing too little too late? And will they at some point become more aggressive? And I said the big problem they're having is obviously this uh, balance sheet uh, management they have on the Bank of Japan. The Bank of Japan and the yen is not the world's reserve currency and they have a lot less leeway in terms of what they can do with their currency and, their, and with their debt and in terms of eventually long-term management of, their debt, of this debt. One of the biggest gripes at the moment from the general public has been that wage growth has been quite anemic in comparison to inflation. That's obviously going to be hitting the consumers' pockets. You've got the JGB problem, um, as you've been touching on uh, over, over the last you know, five minutes. So 
how does Japan manage all of this? I mean, consumers are feeling poorer. JGBs, they've got a problem, so they can't really raise rates too aggressively. But yet you've still got high inflation. So how does, how, how does Japan finally manage all of this? And start with you, Sam. Well, I think it's a question of how far it's going to go into the cycle. You can see that companies are starting to pass through the costs and cost of uh, labor is slowly increasing. So we are at the very, very beginning of this cycle. So the question is whether it's going to be just a, a small, small hike or that will start to get engaged into something more continuous. And depending on this, that's where you're going to have an adjustment on the monetary policy. And knowing also that you have a problem in Japan, which is the labor uh, supply is going to decrease. So you have this factor, which is natural inflationary on the, uh, on the employment. So again, they have a lot. Obviously, it's not something which is going to happen overnight over the next three months, but they have a lot of things to potentially balance for the next um, five years, knowing they have been in this state of mind for the last 30 years with deflationary, want to keep everything at zero, and whether they will be reactive enough to... To, to, to change the policy and to address it is a big question mark because they have, don't have the experience. And Andrew, how do you think Japan manages all this? Uh, relatively easily because uh, although the current account uh, uh, external balance has swung occasionally into, into a deficit, Japan uh, uh, over a period of, let's say, of a rolling uh, two years has had a large external surplus. Now, external surplus always means that uh, the country is a net lender to the world, not a lent borrower. Japan does most of its lending domestically. So in other words, uh, it's not uh, Argentina or Greece and that somehow will need to go out begging for money because also, of course, Japan, I believe it is the single biggest holder of uh, uh, U.S. treasuries, except if China has now overtaken them. But anyway, traditionally, the two of them were the two single biggest net holders of uh, U.S. government bonds and bills. So an external lender uh, never has a problem with uh, something happening to its sovereign assessment. For example, as it has happened quite irrelevantly, in fact, and I'm just bringing it in, in the case of China, where Moody's has actually indicated a negative overall to the economy, not to the sovereign rating. But automatically this was taken to be the case. So Japan will be able to manage it because external limitations are not going to add to what they can do internally. And internally, as I said, it is always the same thing. You can either address the quantity or the price, but not both. And that applies to whether they are looking at the labor costs, that applies whether they are looking at the price of bread and shoes, or for that matter, the impact of a stronger exchange rate to their inflation and to their external balance. So I, I, I see it as a matter of, uh, of checks and balances as opposed to Japan being faced with an intractable. Also, famously, Japan has got the biggest fiscal deficit as a percentage of GDP, uh, following closely by Greece. Well, <laughs> that's hardly a race I would like to be in. But the big difference is, of course, that poor Greece never had an external balance surplus, whereas Japan always had, hence their capacity to carry on doing this. All right, we don't have much time left. Um, Sam, I'm going to defer this question to you. Um, looking regionally, Taiwan has been the best performing market in the region. Um, Hang Seng Index has been the worst performing region. Looking ahead into 2024, what are your thoughts? Does that trend continue or can we start seeing the Hang Seng Index actually start minimi- I mean, picking up some traction? Well, that's a difficult one because I think a lot will be based into uh, how China starts to recover in terms of uh, market credibility and market confidence. 
uh, and so far there is no sign of a real pickup. So I don't think the cycle on the trend will necessarily change. Now, saying that the the market has come a long way and there is value uh, in some of these stocks on the Hang Seng. So uh, I don't think we're going to see a massive. I, I would be very surprised if we see another massive down uh, down cycle in the, the Hang Seng. But again, the so re-rating I think is probably a bit far off. Okay. Um, unfortunately, that really is all the time that we have for today. Sorry, Andrew, I can't ask you that question. Um, but that's. Andrew Ferris, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory, and Samuel Fever, the Chief Executive Officer of Mandarin Capital. Thank you both for coming in this morning. Bye.